Well, welcome to Hope City Church for this third week of our series, Mountains Move. How are we doing, 10 o'clock? We doing good? You look good. You look good. My name is Jason. I am the uh, senior pastor here at the church, the pastor of the church, and uh, I'm thrilled to have a tag team partner today. Pastor John is teaching with me, and uh, so I'm sure anything that I say that doesn't make sense, he will explain brilliantly. Uh, but excited to have, uh, have him with us. Let me just also say thank you again to you, Joyce, for being here. We love South Louisville Community Ministries, and, uh, and she will be in the back. She, she mentioned that she'll be in the back after service, and I'd love for you to go and talk to her. And, you know, we, we say all the time around here, but it's, it's not just about our church. It's about the church and, uh, and anything that we can do to, to help this community and help the people in this community uh, I was blown away when Joyce asked who, who lives in the, 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 like the close area here to the church. Raise your hand again if you live in kind of close to the area of the church. I don't know why we've never asked that question before, but that is amazing. And so, uh, wow, that's, that's awesome. Well, um, there's an old anecdote about a man who was trying to understand how big God is. And so he asked him, God, how long is a million years to you? And God said, a million years is like a second. And then the man said or asked, how much is a million dollars to you? And God said, a million dollars is like a penny. And so the man smiled and said, hey, God, could you spare a penny? And God smiled and said back to the man, sure, just wait a second. And... um, You can't talk about mountains moving without talking about prayer, specifically talking about uh, prayer for miraculous intervention. And so today we're going to look at a statement in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, if you have a Bible, you can open up your Bible or find it on your phone. If not, it's a problem. It'll be up on the screen for you. We're going to look at a, a statement in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus made one of those either amazing statements based on where you are in your faith or, or made one of those highly frustrating and disappointing statements, depending on where you are in your faith. Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22, here's what it says. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. And when he says like this, he had just cursed a fig tree That wasn't producing fruit, and the tree just withered and died, like, right on the spot. And so the disciples were like, whoa. And he said what we just started reading. You could do this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. And then verse 22, you can pray for anything. Everybody say anything. He says you can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is the bravest prayer you have ever prayed? What is the the bravest prayer that you have ever prayed? I want to give you a moment to think about it because I really want you to, to, to think about it. Maybe it was at an altar in a church or in the back of a cop car, or in a hospital waiting room, or on the floor of a basement, what is the bravest prayer you've ever prayed? Because Jesus said, you can pray about anything. He said, you can pray about 
anything. One of our, our shift leaders or leaders of, of, uh, of our group, uh, Lyft, not shift, excuse me, uh, Amy shared her hope story a few years ago uh, about the moment she cried out to God. She was in a hotel room or a motel room and, and uh, had got done just not, she wasn't living the life she was supposed to be living, partying and drugs and alcohol. And she knew that it was time to, to turn and to find Jesus and reach out for God. And, and she said in that moment, she didn't really know what to pray. She just cried out to God, Jesus, help me. Sometimes our bravest prayers are our shortest prayers, sometimes out of desperation. I, I think for me, probably, uh, in recent memory, even though I've started praying a new bravest prayer, I would say in recent memory for me, uh, the bravest prayer that I've ever prayed was for my daughter, Sadie, for her tongue to be healed. A lot of you know this story. It was actually almost, um, let's see, October would be, uh, would be a year. And so we're about, about a year and a couple months now. But our church was in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And for over a year leading up to that point, Sadie uh, had a cyst that was growing on her tongue. And it started out small and... Um, started growing a little more, growing a little more. We don't really go to the doctor much in, in our house. I mean, it's just kind of how we were raised. My dad's like, oh, you broke your arm here, drink some orange juice. Like, orange juice fixed everything. I don't know. Anyway, so I just, you know, I was like, hey, we'll just watch it. It'll be, you know, it'll be all right. And it just kept growing. So we took her to a specialist, and the specialist said, hey, listen, we can do surgery, uh, but I can't promise it's not going to come back because it may be on some tissue and may swell back up. The surgery was going to cost somewhere between $4,000 and $10,000. You just got to love the medical kind of as quote estimations there. And, uh, and so I would do anything for my daughter, but I just really felt in my heart like it wasn't the wisest, wisest decision to do that at the time. And so we were starting 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church and uh, just felt very strongly that we needed to pray for Sadie's tongue to be healed. It was the top of my prayer list. And uh, not even everyone in my family agreed with me. My dad and, and grandmother, who love Jesus and believe in prayer but love their grandchildren a lot, uh, were like, hey, uh, love Jesus and prayer, but could we go to the doctor? So um, we prayed. I actually did a 21-day liquid-only fast. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just letting you know where my, I, my heart was and my mind was and, and fully expecting that God would heal her tongue, like, do you ever feel like sometimes, like, God, you owe me one because of how awesome I'm being right now? Like, I know that sounds terrible, but, like, sometimes, you know, you, you're on your best moral behavior or you've fasted or, you know, you didn't cuss out your ex-husband and you're like, God, you really owe me one because I'm being so awesome right now. And, and that's kind of how I felt, even though that's not how you should feel, that's how I felt. But 21 days go by, and, and not only had the cyst not gone away, but it had grown. It was starting to bleed. It was causing a speech impediment for her. And finally, whether it was lack of faith or love for my child or whatever, I said to Andrea, you know what? Um, let's go ahead and let's make an appointment uh, at, the, at the doctor, at the hospital. So um, we decided we would go in January. We kept praying, but to be honest with you, my faith was kind of faltering a little bit. And at some point, I don't know exactly when, but at some point, I stopped praying. At some point, I stopped praying because I just either didn't believe or I forgot or whatever. And on a Saturday morning in October, Sadie runs downstairs and she says, Daddy, 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 
look at my tongue. And when she showed me, God had completely healed it. We actually have a picture, I think. God had completely healed uh, her tongue. And in that moment, I, I've grown up in church. I've grown up around prayer. My, you hear stories about my grandmother all the time who just knows how to get a hold of God. And, but for me, this was my first experience, my first moment, truly ever praying for healing and it happening. It's actually, I have a life goal list. I don't know if you know this, but I have a life goal list of 40 plus things that I want. It's kind of like a bucket list, but it's kind of a goal slash prayer list. And one of them on that list was to pray for someone to be physically healed and they be healed. And so I got to get my highlighter out and cross that one off, which is incredible. And it was for my daughter, but more than wanting her tongue to be healed, I wanted her faith to come alive. So every night as we would lay down to go to sleep, I would say, Sadie, we're gonna pray for your tongue to be healed, and we would pray, and I would pray, and she would pray, God, heal my tongue, make the bump go away, we know you can, we're believing you will, and more than wanting her tongue to be healed, I wanted her to know at the time she was uh, six, maybe almost seven, just turning seven, I wanted her to know that when we pray, God moves. I wanted her to know that when we pray, God listens, and he won't always do everything exactly how we want him to do, but we never have to wonder if he hears us and if he is able to heal or miraculously um, intervene on our behalf. So what's the bravest prayer you've ever prayed? What maybe is the most brave, courageous prayer you need to be praying, but maybe you are afraid to pray it or you feel silly? Let me ask it one other way. If tomorrow, if tomorrow when you woke up, all your prayers that you prayed this week were answered, how different would your life be? If every prayer that you've prayed this last week were answered tomorrow, how different would your life be? Would someone be raised from the dead? Would a, would a blind person see? Would, would a crippled person walk? Would an addict be clean? Or would your food just be blessed and your headache be gone? Because, listen, bold prayers honor God. They terrify us, they make us nauseous, but they honor God. And I believe that safe, boring prayers offend him in a way. And so maybe the boldest prayer that you can pray for your life right now is for your mountain to move, your mountain to move. We have uh, a, a guy in our church right now who's praying for a mountain to move, his son who is still in Nigeria who needs medical treatment here in the United States and, and, and we're working with him and he's working and we're using Imagine Money and, and trying connections with ambassadors and different things to try to get him the son to Cozare. That is a mountain moving type of prayer. And so maybe the bravest prayer you need to pray is for your mountain to move. And we've been talking the last two weeks about giants and mountains and obstacles that we all face. And maybe for you, the bravest prayer that you could pray right now is for God to heal your marriage. It feels impossible to fix without divine, miraculous intervention. Maybe it's for your son or daughter to be clean or free from an addiction. Rehab and tough love aren't working. You need God to miraculously heal. Maybe it's for courage to have an impossible conversation with someone that you love or to confess a secret you've carried for years. Maybe it's the courage to quit a safe career 
to pursue something that God is calling you to do. Maybe it's the courage to give an incredibly generous amount of money away. Maybe it's to put a difficult situation in God's hands and leave it there. You know, sometimes the most courageous thing we can do is stand still. There's a million different prayers that we could be praying because all of us face obstacles. We face giants. We face mountains in our life. But no matter what mountain you face, the common denominator for all of us is prayer. It's prayer. And I love when Jesus makes a statement that makes us shake our head. Like when he said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Maybe like if we wanted to, to, to put that in modern terms, like Jesus said, like love Democrats or love Republicans, love Trump supporters and love people who don't. Like, like the people that absolutely just, just make you furious for whatever reason. Jesus shows up one day and says like, love them. Like, really love them. Pray for them. Or the time that Jesus said, uh, don't worry. Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus showed, you remember that? Jesus showed up and said, yeah, 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 don't worry about tomorrow. It's like, wow, thank you, Jesus, for that incredibly insightful comment. I'm just not supposed to worry about tomorrow. We read these statements by Jesus, and we think to ourselves, like, we shake our head. Like, I just... Either I don't believe it or it seems too good to be true. And here Jesus is making another one of those statements. He says, you can pray for anything, anything. There's nothing in your life that you think maybe you would like to pray for that you can't pray for. That, oh, I'm not supposed to pray for that. I, I can't pray about those types of things. No, Jesus said, you can pray about anything, anything. You can pray for this mountain to be thrown into the sea. And if you believe and you do not doubt, it will happen. You'll receive it. It's like an infomercial where like kitchen knives cut through metal pipes at three in the morning. And you're watching it and you're thinking, I don't have any knives that can cut through metal pipes. And I, I may want to order those. But like it's, it's, it's like, wait, wait a second, God. Come on. Are you being serious right now, Jesus? Like you're saying that there are obstacles and giants and mountains in my life that could be removed from prayer through prayer? Let me ask it this way. Is there a mountain in your life that you've submitted to? You've stopped dreaming. You've stopped hoping. I believe today it's time to stop telling God how big your mountain is and start telling your mountain how big God is. Because he said, pray that this mountain would be thrown into the sea. But if we're being honest today, the challenge is not necessarily the praying. I mean, it can be, but it's not necessarily the praying. The challenge is believing that God can or that God will, right? And praying for mountain moves is one thing, but believing for mountains to move is another thing all together. And so I want to just show you another story. It's in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. It's verses 15 through 18. If you'd like to read along, you can. If not, maybe just make a mark. But this story is about a man named Abraham and uh, his wife, which at the time was, her name was pronounced Sarai, and that uh, she was not able to have children. But God had promised 15 years earlier that, that they would have a child, even though she was not able 
to have children, but 15 years had gone by, and that's a long time to wait on God to come through on a promise or whatever you feel like you were praying for or believing for. And so in Genesis 17, verse 15, God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, which I'm sure Sarah was pumped about that. And 16, I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Verse 17, then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. You ever been there? You ever felt that way? Ever done that? You read a scripture, you hear a promise, you feel a prompting from God. Someone maybe gives a word to you that is inspired by God. And instead of just grabbing hold of that and bear hugging that promise or that word, instead you kind of (laughs) like... Okay. It just feels too good to be true. That's where Abraham is. And Abraham says back to God, how could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. He didn't say it to God. He's thinking it, which is really saying it to God. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? Come on, ladies. Like, that's a great question. It's legitimate. 18, so Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. Verse 19, but God replied, no, no. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son. I don't have time to explain it, but Ishmael was Abraham's, air quoting here, illegitimate son. And because Abraham can't believe the promise that God is giving him, he says to God, I don't even see any way that's probably possible. So let's just go to plan B and you could just bless my illegitimate son over here and that would be good enough. It would be good enough. Maybe this mountain will never move, but God, if you could just do plan B, it would be good enough. And I love the honesty of the Bible. What Abraham is feeling in this moment is something all of us have felt. We've prayed, we've believed, we've hoped that God would move a mountain, but after enough time passes... You receive enough bad news or logic and reason starts talking to you. Like Abraham, you laugh to yourself in disbelief. And maybe you begin to negotiate with God and settle and go down and say, God, I don't have the heart to keep believing for for plan A. So God, maybe I'll just settle for, for plan B. You know, Pastor Jason is is talking about something that really hits home for me. My wife, Christine, and I, a few years ago, uh, we went through a situation where we really had to trust in God and, and trust kind of far beyond what we could see. Um, see, we, a lot of you might not know this, but we're from Ohio. Uh, we grew up there, got married there, and we started to kind of build our life, our family there as well. Uh, but I was unsettled, and I think kind of we both were. Uh, I was in a job that I didn't really like, um, and I just felt discontent, so I started I was praying this prayer that was kind of a dangerous prayer. Uh, if you know, I'd recommend it if you want to go there. But it's, it's God. This can't be all you have for me. This can't be it. Stretch me, grow me, use me for something greater than I'm doing. Um, and in that process, God answered that prayer in a really unexpected way. He He put the call on my heart to go into full time ministry. Um, the problem with that was I didn't feel qualified. Um, and like Jason talked about last week, um, you know, I thought everybody else saw me that same way. I never in a million years would have thought I'm going to work for a church or one day be a pastor. That was just completely not on my radar. 
Um, but through prayer and seeking, God actually opened a door. Um, and it wasn't the ideal opportunity because it required a lot of sacrifice. Uh, but I actually got accepted into a ministry training program here in Louisville. Um, but just to give you a little backstory, around this time, Christine had lost her job. So I was the sole provider for our family. Um, and we just uh, completed classes in the process to be licensed foster parents, which is something that we thought God was uh, putting on our hearts, and we were excited about it. But if you know anything about the foster care system, you know that it doesn't transfer state to state. So in order to pursue this opportunity in Kentucky, we would have to leave the opportunity in Ohio to foster at that time. So Christine and I weighed our options. Um, not only did we have to give up those things, but it would cost $2,000 to enroll in the program. I would have to quit my job. Um, we would buy out our lease, move all our stuff into a storage unit, and pay monthly rent on that storage unit. We'd move into a house with a family we had never met here in Louisville. And after all of that, there was no job guaranteed. So once the program ended, it was on me. It was all over. So after weighing those options, we went for it. We decided to go for it. And like Abraham and Sarah, we were like, man, this is crazy. God, this doesn't make any sense. You know, like having a baby at 99 years old and, and waiting all this time, we were looking for an opportunity, not a sacrifice. But we went for it. So we came to Louisville. We, we showed up with no jobs and just big hopes and dreams of what God was going to do. And nothing was certain, but, but we were certain that God was going to use our sacrifice for his glory. There is a, a quote in the book, All In, by Mark Batterson that says, Most of us will only follow Christ to the point of precedence. That's the place we've been before, but no further. We're afraid of doing what we've never done because it's unfamiliar territory. So we leave unclaimed new gifts, new anointings, and new dreams that God wants to give us. So what he's saying is, it's because we're afraid to go where we've never been or, or do what no one else is doing. We're actually missing out on good opportunities, good gifts, and, and good dreams that God wants to give us. And I don't want you to miss the word once. Like, he wants to give them to us. He just wants us to want it as bad as he does. So what, what risk do you need to take? Where are you just settling that you need to go into unfamiliar territory? And how much are you willing to sacrifice? As we talk this morning about big and bold prayers, that boldness, it has to be rooted in faith. Faith that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. I mean, how many of us just slide our prayer requests over to God, and we're like, God, if you have time, could you take a look at this? And if it's not too much trouble, could you give me something that, that kind of resembles what I asked for? Does that kind of prayer really represent someone that has faith in God? And that he wants the best for us. In Acts chapter 3, there's a story about Peter and John, and they're going to the temple to pray. And as they're coming up to the temple, there's a man laying outside the temple gate, and they call him the lame beggar. Because every day someone drops him off outside, and, and he just lays there looking for handouts. And as Peter and John are almost into the temple, they catch eyes with this man, and he asks them for money. And here's what Peter says to him. It says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It doesn't seem like Peter hesitated. He didn't doubt for a second that God was going to come through. What would it be like to pray with that kind of authority and that type of confidence that God is going to do what you're asking him to do, no matter how big? In the name of Jesus, walk. That's a big prayer. And that's exactly the type of prayer that God wants us to bring to him in our prayer life. So good. Everybody wants an opportunity, not people, not many people want to sacrifice. That's, I'm tweeting that. Um, so here's the trap. Here's what happens to us, is we get so caught up in trying to figure out how God is going to do it, that not knowing how begins to kill our faith, right? Causes us to doubt God. That's what happened to Abraham. I'm 100. She's 90. Like, I, you know, I don't have, I don't got much game anymore, God. I'm a hundred, you know. Like, how are you going to do this? It doesn't make any sense. And, but don't ever assume that, that God has to play by the same rules that we play by. That's what happens. We kind of wonder how, you know, how is, how is God going to do it? Because I can't figure out how God's going to do it. We think that God has to play by the same rules, but God does not have to play by the same rules. The rules of time, space, reasons, dimension, maybe even gravity. He didn't have to do that. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The best example I could think of to, to describe this is when Moses is out in the desert with Israel and they're complaining about not having enough food to eat, not having enough, uh, uh, they actually have some food, but they don't have any meat. And so they're complaining and they say, God, we want, we want some meat, God, will you give us some, some meat? And so God hears their grumbling and complaining and gets a little aggravated. And so he says to Moses, I'm going to send enough fish to feed everybody for 30 days. Now we're talking about a million plus people. And Moses, this is in Numbers 11, you don't have to go there, but in Numbers 11, Moses says to God, God, there's 600,000 soldiers plus families here. If we slaughtered every you know, animal that we had, there's no way to feed that many people for you know, maybe even a day, let alone 30 days. How Moses couldn't understand how. And I love God's response in Numbers eleven twenty three. 23. He says, the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true or not. It's like a little drop the mic kind of moment for God. Here's a little science fact for you. Quail tend to live by the water. They don't, live, they don't fly long distances, so... Evidently, God provided a supernatural wind that gave the quail enough tailwind to fly into the Israelite camp. And we're not talking about just enough, like a little bit of quail here, okay? We're talking about enough quail for a million people to eat for a month, okay? So historically, it's believed that, that the area that they're in is, on, is about 700 miles. So just to put that in perspective, Louisville, like tip to tip, stretch it as far as you possibly can, 399 square miles, so we're talking about almost two Louisvilles, right? 
And, and, and God sends a supernatural wind to blow enough quail 50 miles west and cover 700 square miles of the Israelite camp. And the Bible says that each person filled up 50 bull, uh, bushels, which equates to about 200 liters. Hang with me for a second. Multiply that by 600,000, just counting the men, and it rained somewhere around 105 million quail. 105 million quail from the sky falling that night. It was like Sharknado. It was like Quail-mageddon. And I think it's worth repeating what God said to Moses. Is the Lord's power limited? So Moses in Numbers 11, that's a Bible story. But in 2010, there was an Australian town uh, I'm going to mess this up, but the town is Lahamanu La La or Lajamanu. The town is 326 miles from the river. But one day, when the residents walked outside, they noticed that it was raining fish. 326 miles from the nearest piece of water. Population of the town is 669 people. And all of these hundreds of small white fish were falling from rain clouds, and most of the fish were still alive. That's my kind of fishing right there. And here's what happened. Weather experts uh, in Australia believe that the fish, they were spangled uh, perch, were sucked up in a thunderstorm 40,000 to 50,000 feet. They were frozen and then dumped out over the tiny town. Here's my point. When you begin to pray for mountains to move and you don't doubt in your heart, who knows but that God might not send a storm to a river to suck fish out of the water, to take it up 50,000 feet in the sky, freeze them, take them 329 miles and rain down fish. We don't know how. We don't know how, but we don't have to wonder if because he can. He can. We just don't know how he's going to do it. And so God said, pray about anything. Don't doubt in your heart. This mountain would be moved. But as we close today, it would be silly to not address the last part of this verse in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus said, pray about everything. Don't doubt in your heart. And then he said, statement number three, you will receive it. You will receive it. I'm willing to bet that there's probably a large number of us in the room who have prayed courageous prayers, who have believed for something in your life to happen, and your prayer was not answered. What do we do when we don't receive what we have prayed for? You know, as, as we talk about that question, just prayers that we're, we're diligently praying and, and giving these requests to God, believing he's going to come through, there's story after story in the Bible that addresses people feeling the same way. But there's one story that it makes me think of in particular, and it's the story of Jonah. In chapter 2, at the very beginning, it says that God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. God provided a huge fish. Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea. He was fighting for his life. It's, I doubt that a rescue to him was getting swallowed by a whale. He was probably expecting to get pulled out of the water, put on a boat onto dry land. But God provided a fish to swallow him. I think so often 
we actually miss answered prayer because we're looking for what we imagine, but God has something totally different in store. So I just want to encourage us to think outside the box, to look at the ways God is providing in the midst of a struggle. Look at the ways he's providing and, and not be so fixed on the, the final circumstance, the final outcome that we have in mind. As we keep reading, the story goes on to say that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Just like Jonah in the middle of the struggle, we have to keep praying. We have to keep believing, keep the faith, keep the confidence that God is going to come through. And for most of us, that's really hard. Because when we're in the middle of it, when we're, it feels like we're in the belly of a fish, when it feels like we're at the bottom of the mountain, that mountain's never going to move, we feel abandoned. But God is at work in the belly of the fish, and he's at work at the bottom of the mountain, and we don't have to overcome it on our own. We don't have to be strong enough to fight it on our own. We just have to trust and be confident that God is strong enough. Sometimes God moving the mountain is the miracle, but sometimes the mountain is the miracle. And we don't feel it at the moment or we keep praying. How are we supposed to know? We keep praying. We're praying for the healing, for the miracle, for the reconciliation, for the money. But sometimes the mountain is the miracle because it's making you into the man or the woman that God wants you, wants you to be. But I don't want you to let discouragement keep you from praying mountain-moving prayers. Because there's something in your life right now, there's something, a mountain you're facing, an obstacle, a giant that you're facing, and either you've stopped praying about it or you've never prayed about it. And I want to encourage you to grab a hold of and bear hug Matthew 21. Look at that mountain. Tell it to be thrown into the sea. Believe in your heart you will receive it. What is the bravest prayer you could pray? Bow your heads. Let's pray together.